This commandment is uh, one of the longer commandments that we see in the Bible. We see that it is often mentioned throughout the Old Testament and even in the New Testament. It's one of the hot topics of the New Testament between the Pharisees, the keeper of the law, and Jesus himself. Even now in the Reformed circle, there is much debate on what does it mean to keep the Sabbath, to remember the Sabbath. And so there's so much to be said in the world of academics when it comes to this commandment. But for those of us who are just tired and weary and looking for rest in Jesus, we can simply say the point and the heart of this commandment is that God blessed and made, the, and made holy the Sabbath to spend time with you. That the heart and the point of this commandment is that God blessed and made holy the Sabbath to spend time with you, with us. And so as we look at this commandment, we'll ask three questions and ask the Lord to teach us. We'll ask, what is the commandment that he gives? Why does God give it? And how does it apply to us? So first, what is the commandment that God gives to us? If we look at verse 8 through 10, I'll read it again as a reminder. This is the commandment. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And then it elaborates. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So right off the bat, God tells the Israelites to remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. If we think about the word Sabbath, it, it comes from this Hebrew root word meaning to, to rest or to cease. Shabbat, to rest or to cease. And God is telling his people to remember this. Remember to rest. Remember to cease from your work. God tells them to remember because this pattern of working and resting was already established back in Exodus 16. Remember when the Israelites were in the, elder, in the wilderness and they were hungry. And they cried out to Moses and they were grumbling. And the Lord God graciously heard their grumbling and provided for them bread from heaven, which the people started to call manna. And the instruction was at that time to, for six days, go out and collect this bread from heaven. Each person, each family, go out into the land, collect not any more than you need, and also not any less than you need, but whatever you need, bring it in each day. And the Israelites were instructed to not take any more and try to store up for the next day. The only time they were instructed to get more than they would need is on the sixth day. They were allotted twice as much so that on the seventh they could rest. Now in short, this was God trying to teach his people in the wilderness to trust him. That not only is he the God who saved them out of Egypt, out of slavery, but he is the God who provides for them. He is the God who sustains them. And he is the God who loves them. The one that they can trust and look towards. 
And so this is a reminder for the Israelites. When God says, remember the Sabbath, remember to rest, do your work, your daily business in the six days, but on the seventh day, come and rest in me as I provide for you. This was the rhythm that the Lord wanted to teach the Israelites in the wilderness. Through this rhythm, they were to learn that God sustains, provides, and loves them. The Lord knows how busy people can get with their labors. He knows how, how anxious we can get for tomorrow's portion, how lost we can get in the things that we have to get done to secure tomorrow's endeavors, how easily our survival mentality kicks in, how easily we forget in the midst of our work and busyness and heaviness that it is actually God who gives us all that we need. And so God reminds his people in time of wilderness to remember to rest, to remember to cease, to remember the God who saved you, provides for you, and sustains you and all that you need. You know, last night during kids' night, I'm sure some of you young adults also were able to see much of what parents see. And if you're a teacher, you know that children oftentimes need to be reminded to rest. I sat down and I thought about what are some ways that I tell my children to rest. And I, the list was so long I had to trim it down. Here are some things we find ourselves saying to children, right? Take it easy. Take a break. Take a deep breath. Sit down. Have some water. Take a time out. One of my favorites, it's nap time. <laughs> Slow down, calm down, one step at a time. It's okay, I'm here. And my all-time favorite, go to sleep. <laughs> and we're not so different, are we? If left unchecked, even you and I, like children, if we aren't reminded to rest, to cease, we can find ourselves spinning out of control in the work and the endeavors and the labors we find our hands doing, the things we find our minds so relentlessly engaged in. And this is why some of you guys have, have mandated vacations or, or paid time off or summer breaks because rest is good and we have to be reminded to rest. So the command is to remember the Sabbath day, and to keep it holy. The commandment isn't just to remember, but actually now to act upon it, to keep the Sabbath day holy. Again, here this word, uh, to, to keep holy, means to set apart, to consecrate, to sanctify it. Do all your work in six, rest on the seventh. It's a rhythm of life. But in order to do this, God tells his people not only just to remember as if it's a thought, but to act upon it. Keep it sacred. Keep it set apart. Organize your life and your work in such a way so that you can come before him and rest. He says this not only for the person, but he addresses the children the servants, even the cattle, the livestock, and even the guests that are part of this person's home. 
that not only are you to rest, but you're also to help those around you rest in the Lord, that you're also to be an advocate of this deep resting. Now, there is a distinction between just simply remembering and keeping it holy. When the Lord commands us to keep the Sabbath day holy, it takes the remembering to a deeper realm. Let me give you an illustration. It's one thing to remember your friend's birthday. It's another thing to keep it holy. It's one thing to know that your friend's birthday is on September the 15th. It's another thing to plan for that day, to throw them a party, right? It's one thing to know what your anniversary is. It's another thing to bring the flowers, the chocolates, plan the dinner, the moments, right? Imagine if whatever that important moment is, your wedding day, Valentine's Day, your children's sporting events, orchestra concert, plays, the Super Bowl, in any type of event, when we remember the date and the time, we don't just remember it, we act and we make sure we keep it separate and holy, right? If my wedding anniversary, oh, I almost stumped myself, April the 12th came around, and during that day, Throughout the day, I didn't really send my wife a text. Into the afternoon, there wasn't anything when she got home. And into the night, we're sitting there watching TV, and she's sitting there and saying, hey, did you forget our anniversary? I would say, no, I remembered. And she would wonder, then how come we're not doing anything? Right? There is an expectation when we remember something important to keep it holy. And so the Lord asks us, his people, to not just remember, but to keep it holy. So why does God give this command then? If we look in verse 11, why does God give this command? If the command is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, why does he give it? What's the heart behind it? In verse 11, it tells us, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We're told that God, during the six days, worked, labored, created everything, and on the seventh day, he rested. And what's important to remember here is that God didn't require rest. He didn't create six days, and then the seventh, he's sitting there catching his breath like, ooh, I got to rest now. It's the seventh day. God was not exhausted from creation. He did not need to rest, but he rested. And he blessed the seventh day. And he made it holy. What commentators have noted is that the fact that God rests in his creation is speaking to the fact that he wants to dwell in his creation. There is a relational reason why the Lord rests. God doesn't rest after creation because he's tired. God rests because he wants to have a relationship with his creation, with all that he created. Let me make it concrete and give you an illustration. 
One thing that you guys know when you go home, whether you're living with a roommate, with your parents, um, whether you have children, that it's easy to want to come home and, and just get caught up in, in, in the chores of, of trying to maintain the house, right? So a lot of times my wife and I, we come home, we catch ourselves busy with laundry, dishes. I'm always just vacuuming. We recently got a Dyson animal, charged that baby up 30 minutes, right? I think it's 15 minutes of high suction, and our house is small, so I'm having a blast. The kids love it, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm vacuuming. I can hear all the crunching getting sucked up. I'm like, yes, things are getting done. The house, the orders being brought from this chaos. And, and there are a lot of times my wife and I have to, we have to remind each other, hey, take a break. Take a rest. And I'm just like, why? I thought you'd be happy. I'm trying to do some of the chores. And, and she always has to remind me, just be with the kids. They want to hang with you. Right, they're crawling up my legs. Timmy's trying to engage me. Like, hey, you be a dinosaur, and I'm gonna be this. You roar, and I'm gonna run. I'm just like, get out of the way, the vacuum's coming. And I'm just so caught up in working. And, and I didn't quite get it until uh, some time into, into parenting. I, I realized that I don't need to rest because I could do all the work I need to get done around the house. I have the energy for it. But I need to rest because if I don't, my kids won't have access to me. If I'm busy just working and working and working, they won't have time to come to me. And so we see in, in similar ways, we see the Lord resting in his creation to allow for this time and space for his creation, his people, his children to have access to him, to come to him, to rest in him. So that when we see the Lord, we don't see just a busy God off about creating and doing things. So busy, but no, we see a God who works but also rests. And in that time of rest, he draws a sneer. So we see the heart of this commandment, the reason why God gives it, it's not just some arbitrary law or commandment, but like all the commandments, there is a, a deeply relational aspect to it. The reason God gives this commandment is to comfort his people with the reminder that he saves, provides, sustains, but also that he just doesn't give out these things and do things for us, but he also wants to spend time with us. You know, I find myself uh, a lot of times in, in counseling sessions, and a lot of times we have to work through um, some hurt from, from, from parents, and especially as a, most of us as a second generation immigrant um, group of people, we, we have some hurt and some baggage. We got some uh, daddy and mommy issues. I do too, and I, I say that lightly, but I don't say that just to blow it off. We, 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 we know what it's like for, for our parents to provide for us, right, to love us, but, but not be able to spend time with them. We know what it's like to know that, that they love us deeply, but it's hard for them to make the time to come out to our sporting events. You know, it's, 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 it's one thing to be around a parent that's busy. It's another thing to be able to spend time with them. Some of my fondest memories with my father is going to the movies, watching movies. I think we played tennis one time because um, that one time I kept, I kept hitting the ball out of the, out of the court. We ran out of balls. We were both frustrated. 
I think we just got some Burger King and then rented a movie. But I remember those times that I got to spend with him. I do remember the few times that he came to my football games. In similar ways, the good father wants to spend time with us. He wants us to know he is not too busy for us. He is not so powerful and so busy that he doesn't have time for us, but in fact that he rests. And as he rests, he says, come, let's, let's spend some time. The good father wants to spend time with us. Philip Ryken says this about the Sabbath day. He says that God made this day on purpose to raise the heart to heaven, to converse with him, to do angels' work, and to be employed in earthly work is to degrade the soul of its honor. He's saying the Lord made this day on purpose so that our hearts would go before him and converse with him, to be with him. It isn't that what we desire most when we are so tired and so weary, just to be with the Lord, just to be in his presence, to know that he wants to be with us. That's why the Lord tells us to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, because it's our time together, God says. But there are some uniqueness to this commandment as it goes through the history of redemption. And so the last point we have to ask is how does it apply to us? How does it apply to us? What I have to say is that every time we talk about the commandments, we have to realize in light of Jesus Christ, the commandments have a different nuance. Oftentimes, it's not really changed, but it's deepened. For example, when we're told not to commit adultery, right, or murder or covet, it's not just the physical act of it, but it deepens the commandment to say, even in our hearts, we're not to do it. But the unique thing about this commandment is that in light of Christ, it starts to shape and turn and become fulfilled in such a way where it's a little bit and uniquely different for you and I on this side of the cross. We see in the Old Testament, when this commandment was given, that it was expected of the people to follow this in such a way as if it was the law of the land. As God was their king, as a nation of Israel, they were to keep this commandment, and if they broke it, we saw that the consequences was even death, to be stoned. But we see as, as this commandment is taken throughout redemptive history, as this commandment is um, unfolded and unpacked by Jesus Christ, it, it has a few different notes added to it or, or transformed to it to, to apply to us. And so we see this in Mark 2, 27 through 28. The context is the disciples of Jesus have plucked grain in the field to eat. And this is really good for the Pharisees because the Pharisees have been trying to catch Jesus and deal with him once and for all. And so the Pharisees approach Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, what are, what are you and your disciples doing? You're working on the Sabbath. You're breaking the law. And Jesus says this to them. 
And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. After this, what does he do? He goes and he heals a man with a withered hand. And the Pharisees goes, what are you doing? You're working, you're healing on the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath, Jesus. And Jesus says that Sabbath was made for man and that he is the Lord over the Sabbath. What does this mean in light of Jesus? First, the Sabbath was made for man. Now, I want to pause here because a lot of times we take this and we say, don't you know the Sabbath was made for man? And so we think we can do whatever we want with the Sabbath day. It's up to us. The Lord gave it to us. It's for our pleasure. It's for our goodness. But I want to nuance it. In context, what we're, what we're to understand is that the Sabbath was made for man's sanctification. The Sabbath was made for man's growing in his relationship with God. The Sabbath was made for man so that during that time, he will spend time with God. So that he would be made more like Christ. Too often I think we hear that the Sabbath was made for man and think that it means we can do what we want whenever we want, how we want. But there is still a sacredness about the Lord's day. There is still a remaining heart that says, I want to spend time with the Lord. Let me give you an illustration. You know, growing up, I have to admit I was a bit spoiled when I got my license my dad bought me a brand new car. My mom flipped out. What are you doing? Are you crazy? You're buying a kid who just got his license a car? But I was thrilled. You know, we went, we picked it out. I sat through the whole negotiation process. It was thrilling to watch my dad just work the guy, you know? Got a good deal. We drive home. And, and, I, was, and I was so happy. But, but, but think about this. The reality is that that car was meant for me, right? It's not like my mom and dad, after they got married, my dad said to my mom, hey, you know what? In 16 years, I want to buy a car. And if, if that's going to mean anything, we should probably just have a kid. That way, the car, you know, is used. The car is not lonely. The car is money well spent. It's not like I was birthed into life and conceived so that sometime in the future that this car would have some use. No. The car's use and the car's meaning is, is for me. The car is for me. You're with me so far. So the car is for me. The car was for me. So does that mean that I can do whatever I want with the car? Does my dad expect in me thinking that he bought me this car, now I can go drag race with it? Now I can do crazy stuff and just take it down 309, 120 miles per hour and just do whatever I want. Of course not. Although the car is for me, there are expectations for me to honor it and steward it well. And just in that same way, this, when the Sabbath is told to be for man, we're reminded that yes, this good and beautiful and holy set aside day is for us but it's so that we can enjoy it in the way it was intended to. It is for us so that we can rest in God, so that we can spend time with him, 
so that we can grow and be filled up. Secondly, Jesus says that he is the Lord of Sabbath. This means that Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest. He's the Lord of ceasing. He is the Lord of Sabbath. In Jesus, there is a rest from our works to try to earn salvation. He has secured it for us. And in light of that assurance, it gives us the grace to grow little by little every day. Jesus is the Lord of ceasing. In Jesus, the power of sin ceases to have a hold over our lives. And daily, little by little, the hope is that we cease from our wicked ways and return back to him until that day where we will be made perfect. When Jesus said he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm the Lord of rest. I'm the Lord of ceasing. And when he says, come to me, he's saying, come to my rest. Come and cease from having to earn your identity, to earn your comfort, to earn your security in anything else because I am the Lord of it and I want to give it to you. I'm calling you to me on this day so that you would be reminded of it. Jesus is saying that he is the Lord of rest and that he is working to ensure that rest extends to all those who come to him. The Sabbath, as the Pharisees knew it up to this point, ceases with Christ. He transforms the understanding of Sabbath. In the mind of the Pharisees, the Sabbath was just about do's and don'ts. What can we do? What can't we do? But Jesus says, stop thinking about it as what can I do and what can't I do? But think about it as a time to come and rest in God. A time to set aside and to remember and to be filled up and to be poured over and to be embraced and comforted before we are sent out again to do work. It's not about what can we get away with, what, what shouldn't we do, but it's about just coming and being with the Lord. In the book of Acts, we see that the early church understood this. They understood the significance of Christ's resurrection as an already but not yet fulfillment of this Sabbath rest. So they started to observe their Sabbath no longer on the seventh day, on Saturday, but instead on the first day of the week. And this has really interesting implications for us that I'm still trying to wrap my mind around. That means this, because of Christ's resurrection, our understanding as New Testament Christians now is that we get our rest first. That as Christ resurrected from the dead, as believers in him, we don't work and labor and yearn and stretch towards the seventh day. No, we begin our week in a deep and profound rest. You know, in our culture right now, we especially as we work, we, we, we engage in this type of weekend culture. We think in our minds that we work Monday through Friday. We get a little rest on, on, on Saturday. And as Christians, okay, Sunday is the fullest day of rest. 
And then, oh, dreaded Monday, we begin work again. But the reality is that on the Lord's day, this Sabbath, on Christ's resurrection, this first day where the Holy Spirit was poured out on the new church on the day of Pentecost, on this day, the first day of the week, the Christian gets to wake up and say, on this first day, it's not marked with work, it's marked with rest. It means when you are here right now and sitting, your week has started. And what a profound beauty it is that right now, before you enter tomorrow, before you go into Monday, on this first day of the week, you can rest in him. It's a, it's, it's, it's a pretty massive paradigm shift, isn't it? Because we think we just work and then, and then we somehow stumble upon rest and we just have to start again with work. But the reality is we start with rest. This is the beginning of your week, brothers and sisters. Right now, right now as you sit, Christ is saying, rest in me before you start work. Rest in me right now as the start of your week before you go and labor tomorrow. Be filled up before you're sent out. Rest in me right now. This is a big reminder for me, as, as, as especially as someone, even on the Lord's Day, uh, works in gospel ministry. I'm also called to remember that my deep day of rest is today. Brothers and sisters, we start out the week in rest. We start out the week hearing the call to worship. We start out the week singing songs together and being filled up. We start out the week sitting under God's word and being reminded of who we are before we're sent out. We start out the week with one another, encouraging one another. We start the week with encouragement, with affirmation, with a deep call to rest. We start the week full we start the week full. And that's what we are reminded of as we keep this Sabbath day. Hebrews 4, 8 through 11 reminds us of this, however. Remember I said in Christ that there is an already aspect of this deep Sabbath rest, but it's not yet fully realized. And, and, and this is what we mean by that. In Hebrews, it's the preacher of Hebrews says this, for if Joshua had given them rest, meaning when Joshua took the people of God, the Israelites, into the promised land, that they received the rest that they were promised, but the preacher of Hebrews reminding us that it's not the eternal rest that they were looking forward to. If Joshua had given them rest, a lasting rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Is alluding to this eternal Sabbath rest. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work, works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. There is still a Sabbath to come. Yes, on the first day of the week, on the Lord's day, we experience the Sabbath rest in Christ. We experience tastes of it, notes of it. It's not full, but it's of, from, the real thing. But there is that eternal rest to come. Right now on Sundays when we come to worship, it is a foretaste of that eternal deliverance and rest. 
When we come and worship together, we're reminded that even though we have that rest in part now, soon and very soon when Christ comes, that rest will be full and eternal. That even though we rest and then we go out and labor and work, there will come a day where we will no longer have to work and toil and strive in that type of way, but we will enter a full rest for all eternity. In Christ, we already taste the Sabbath rest on a weekly basis. But in Christ, we await the full banquet of that Sabbath rest. It is an already tasting, but not yet full course of this rest. And let me give you an illustration about this. A lot of you guys have been to weddings, and oftentimes we think the best time, I mean, yeah, the ceremony is beautiful, it's great, right? The best time, what is it? You know it. The Korean grandmoms sure know it. It's the cocktail hour. It's a time when they come around with food. It's a time for drinks and little bites and talking and catching up with one another. You know, the Sabbath rest, if I can liken it so boldly, is like cocktail hour. It's short. But even though it's short, we experience food and drink together bread and wine. We experience fellowship with one another. And it's a time where we get to engage and await that full banquet together, right? And so we often find ourselves in the cocktail hour, but sadly, and this isn't a knock on anyone, but sadly, oftentimes the cocktail hour is the better part, right? Sometimes the cocktail hour is better than the food that you get at dinner, But in this reality, in the heavenly reality, the cocktail hour is just a foretaste of the banquet that is so much better that is to come. We're just waiting at at the gates of eternity to enter in to get to the wedding banquet. We're waiting, but the Lord is gracious enough to allow us tastes of the food and of the drink of eternity that is to come. He is gracious enough to allow us fellowship time with one another here as we await that eternal fellowship with one another. I want to conclude by saying this. Again, oftentimes when we look at this commandment, the question is, "Mm, okay then, what, what are we allowed to do and what can't we do then, right? Oftentimes we say, yeah, that's good, but... Come on, like, just be real with us. Let's get technical. What can we do? What can't we do? And, and, and if we think about it, it, oftentimes that type of heart, that type of pondering is, 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 is much like a child who says, well, how much can I get away with? Right? In the youth group and, and a lot of times in college ministry when we talk about dating and marriage and sex, Always the question comes up. When we establish how beautiful and sacred sex is and how God created and gave it to husband and wife to be enjoyed, oftentimes we have college students and youth group students. So then, like, what are we allowed to do then? Like, can we hold hands? Can we, like, kiss? Can we hug? Like, how far is too far? And we're just thinking, like, that's, pro- that's not the way to think about it, right? Don't think about how far is too far. Just remember that sex is beautiful. It's sacred. God, God allowed us to enjoy that with one another. And, and it's even, and it's even a, an illustration of the intimacy that we, we have with the Lord. 
And don't, so don't taint that with, well, how much of it can I taste here and there? How much can I get away with without, without breaking the rules? Rather, ask, how can I be faithful to that day when I can enjoy that sacred thing in its full beauty the way it's meant to be? And so I would leave us with this very practically, concretely. I think it's something we have to address with the Lord, our conscience, our heart. Instead of asking, what can we do or can't do? Church, brothers and sisters, I would rather us ask, if this is the day that the Lord has set aside and made holy to spend time with us, how can I engage him in that? How can I sit at his feet? For some of us, that could mean two hours. Some of us, we want to be at his feet all day. It doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's how can you most enjoy that time with the Lord? So I will say this very practically. When our heads hit the pillow at night, the lasting impression of the Sabbath day, of the Lord's day, of Sunday should be, man, it was really good to sit at Jesus' feet. Man, I'm ready for the week. I'm full. I'm rested. And if there are things that are hindering you from, from in, enjoying the Lord in that savory depth, then I would encourage you, ask yourself, how can I really enjoy the presence of the Lord? Because again, as a reminder, the gospel message is that God has blessed and made holy the Sabbath day to spend eternity with you. Early on, we said that it was to spend time with you. But in light of Christ, we know that it wasn't just for the sake of once a week, but so that that once a week could lead into every day for all eternity. Brothers and sisters, the Lord gives his people this commandment not to restrict them, not to make them feel guilty, not to make them ponder what are the do's and don'ts, but actually so that they would know his heart is to spend time with them so that you and I would know that his heart behind this commandment is that he wants to spend time with you and I. Can we meditate on that for a little bit together and enter in a time of prayer?